Well, good morning, Bel Air. Can you believe it's November? It's, it's flying by. Uh, the heat of summer's done. November has begun. Uh, many months ago, we, we planned for a sermon series starting today called Gratitude. And despite Game 7, we are continuing uh, with a series called uh, Gratitude. And, uh, you know, I think every single one of us uh, has a little tree in our life called Gratitude. Of course, you don't see it. Uh, you don't carry it around with you, but uh, we all have got a tree called gratitude, and every single one of our trees looks different. Some are massive and towering, provide a lot of shade. Uh, they can withstand any storm of life, even a game seven. Uh, they, they bear fruit. Uh, people um, are blessed by that tree of gratitude in your life. And uh, some of us used to have a really strong and healthy tree, and maybe it's in a season where the, the leaves are falling. Uh, maybe some of us, the tree of gratitude in our life uh, just seems like it hasn't grown very much for a long time. Seems like it's beginning to lose its life. Some of us, uh, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree towers over our tree of gratitude. Uh, but the truth is that every single one of us has a level of gratitude in our life. You know, and we live in a culture where we're told that you're supposed to be thankful, you're supposed to be uh, filled with gratitude. Uh, there's a study that came out recently that, that listed uh, the top 10 worst characteristics somebody could have. Uh, number one was uh, not truthful, a liar, deceitful. Uh, number two was ungrateful, entitled. And so culturally, now, now I'm going to step back for a moment, not even uh, within a faith-based perspective, not even... Uh, with a, a, an understanding from Scripture, but just in our culture, in the United States, in our modern world, we are taught that there's two magic words, please and thank you. Oh, you knew. How'd you know? Well, we're raised that way. And I've got a five-year-old named Judah, uh, and I'm trying to teach him uh, a life of gratitude, but many of us... Uh, we don't grow out of the stage that my son's in right now. In fact, I, I often say to him after I give him something or somebody else gives him something, I say, Judah, what do you say? And he says, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and, and many of us, we don't grow out of that. Uh, we mature in our tone and we say, thank you. <sighs> thank you so much. That was so kind of, thank you. I love this sweater. <laughs> this fruitcake, I love it. Thank you. You know me, thank you. But on the surface, it's thank you. Thank you, just thank you. You see, many of us, because we're told, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. We have a little tree called gratitude in our life. And we've been trained to say thank you, but we haven't been trained to live a grateful life. And in these three weeks, we're going to talk about gratitude, but we're not just going to talk about the tree of gratitude. We're going to talk about the type of fruit that comes out of that tree. And as I talk about gratitude over the next two weeks, and as Pastor Kim brings us home in the third week, we're going to talk about the three different fruit that uh, gratitude, a God-given gratitude, a, a grounded gratitude can, can come forth, and it's the fruit of generosity, of grace, 
and of joy. And I think because the majority of Americans are told you're supposed to be grateful, we don't have true gratefulness and therefore we're never generous, we're never extending grace and we're never joyful. The storms of life come and that tree topples over. Or it's a winter season and there's no fruit. It doesn't bless anybody else, it doesn't bring shade. And we are surface level gratitude people. And we've got an opportunity in this Thanksgiving season not just to go through the motions, not just to go, oh gosh, oh great, a, season, oh, a sermon series on gratitude, how original Drew. <laughs> you see, gratitude is the gateway into a deep, thriving relationship with God. Uh, gratitude is the gateway into a healthy, thriving life. Here, here's, here's a great... Uh, quote by a neuroscientist by the name of Rick Hansen. Uh, he says this. He says, gratitude is the, ready for this? Again, thinking about the tree of gratitude in your life. Gratitude is the fertilizer for the mind, spreading connections and improving functions in every realm of experience. The brain, listen to this, the brain takes the shape of what your mind rests on. Let me say that again. Your brain takes the shape of what your mind rests on. Rest your mind on worry, sadness, brokenness, and it will take the shape neurolog neurologically of anxiety, depression, and anger. Give thanks all the time, and your brain will take the shape of gratitude. Everything we do creates connections within networks of the brain. And the more you repeat something, the stronger the connections become. The mind can change the brain in lasting ways. In other words, what flows through the mind sculpts the brain. And you've heard me say before, science is catching up to where Scripture has always been. Right. Romans 12 says this, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Scientists are starting to show that that's true, that this is true, that the thing the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans 12, it's true. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're going to change our, our perspective. And it's literally, it's going to reshape your brain. Are you ready for your brain to be reshaped? Uh, to be shaped around gratitude, not around worry, around thankfulness, not around anxiety. Okay, three things uh, that I want to, um, well, let me back up. Studies are showing that a grateful heart is a healthy heart. Uh, they're showing all these studies that if you have a heart attack, and after the heart attack, you are blaming someone else, your job, your spouse, your kids, someone else. If you're blaming somebody else as to the reason for your heart attack, heart attack you are more likely to have another heart attack than somebody who says, I'm thankful that I survived. A grateful heart leads to a healthy life. But it's even more than that. A grateful life is a longer life. Studies have come out recently. In fact, there was a study that was done over 30 different countries. Uh, people going through the same exact experiences, same health issues, same socioeconomic, and they, and they boiled it down to that if you are a grateful person, if you give thanks, if you practice that, you will live on average nine years longer Nine years longer than somebody who is ungrateful, entitled. A grateful 
life is a longer life and grateful mind is a thriving existence. I'm going to talk a little bit next week about Viktor Frankl, but he reminds us that how you view the world can change everything. That you can actually, you can learn to thrive in the midst of homelessness. That you can thrive in the midst of a divorce. That you can thrive in the midst of stage four cancer. That you can thrive in the midst of losing a loved one. You see, a grateful mind is a thriving existence. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. If you have a pew Bible, it's that red book in front of you. Uh, and why don't you just shout out uh, when you get to that page. 940, Ron, you're getting slow, brother. 941 in your pew Bible. Hey, and if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. It's so powerful. Uh, it's, it has the power to remind you of who you are, who God is, what means Everything in life, I'd rather you have it. We would rather you have it than it sit in the pews all week. But 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 is our text. And if you're joining us online, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It's a longer section. Let me just give you the context. Once you get there, look up and I'll, I'll give you the context for what's going on. Uh, first century, the Apostle Paul, he's one of the first uh, great leaders of the early church. He's writing a letter to a group of Christians in a town called Corinth. Okay, now follow me here. Group of Christians in Corinth. He's writing to them. Now he's telling them about another group of Christians in an area called Macedonia who have been extremely generous. And he says they've been extremely generous in helping out a group of Christians in Jerusalem. You follow me here? Now these Christians in Jerusalem are going through terrible things. There's a famine. There's war. There's persecution. They're getting overwhelmed. And so the Macedonian Christians are so generous. That's who he's talking about. And he's saying, look, Corinthians, Bel Air, look at how generous they are. Look, look what's flowing out of their life in response to this need. So that's what's going on. Let me read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, that's what's going on in Jerusalem, their abundant joy, now this is the Christians in Macedonia, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that, as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you, you Corinthian Christians, now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, 
Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's Word. All right, let's go back to your tree, your tree of gratitude. I want you to imagine it in your mind. What state's it in? You don't have to shout it out. It's between you and, and God. What's the state of your, your tree? And do you want it to grow uh, in this season? Do you want it to thrive and to flourish? Well, whatever it is, my prayer is that it would grow that it would bear fruit, that it would leave a legacy. In fact, the three kind of main headers of uh, what I want to walk through today, if you're taking notes, are this. First, it's the fruit of gratitude. Uh, second, the root of gratitude. And third, the legacy of gratitude. The fruit, the root, legacy. Now, there was a amazing letter that was written in the first century about uh, 30 years after the apostle John died. So uh, the writer of the book of Revelation, after he dies, there is a letter written to a gentleman by the name of Diognetus, a non-Christian uh, who was overwhelmed, who couldn't believe why Christianity was spreading so quickly through the Roman Empire. And so he writes to a Christian, he says, so help me understand, what is going on? Why is this happening? I, I, I don't understand it. This is how the writer responded in the epistle to Diognetus. Let me tell you why Christianity is spreading so fast. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens. For every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land is as their foreign country. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. That's why Christianity was spreading so quickly in the first century. How many people can say that about you, about me? Four things really quickly right there. This description of this group of people who absolutely had lost racism. In the first century where everybody was racist, it was, just, it was just how you were raised. It was us versus them. You heard it there. Foreign lands were, were home to them. There was this picture of the early Christians, whether they were Egyptian or Greek or Roman or Indian, whatever it was, there, there was no distinction. In the first century, there was absolutely radical but even beyond that, there was this value for human life. In the first century, people were disposed of carelessly. 
In fact, in the first century, if you had a girl as a, as a, as a child, uh, a newborn, you, you had the luxury, you had the right in that, in that culture to discard a girl because girls were valued less than boys. That's true in certain parts of the world today. In fact, my wife and I have been supporting a couple, uh, Russell and Kumari in India and Chennai, and the ministry that they do is they go and they rescue girls that have been discarded, left in the trash. That's happening today. And in the first century, this was absolutely radical that Christians were keeping all the babies. They were actually caring for the orphans. It was absolutely radical. Third, they had this perspective on sex that was completely radical. You see, in the first century, sex was an appetite. You got hungry, you ate. You satiated that hunger. The Christians, they saw sex as a, as a communication of a commitment. I am yours and you are mine forever. It's this bond. It's this covenant. And then finally, there was this radical generosity. They shared their homes they shared the food at their table. They had nothing, but they had everything. They gave it away, they gave it away, they gave it away, and that was absolutely radical in the first century. You see, there was fruit that was born out of the tree of the early church, and it was generosity. There was this deep thing that flowed out of their life that absolutely turned the Roman Empire upside down. They were generous with their time. They were generous with their energy. They were generous with their finances. The Apostle Paul even writes, you heard it there in 2 Corinthians 8, that the Macedonian Christians, they were in poverty themselves and they saw this need and they gave not only according to their means, but they gave over and above their means. Now there was this principle in the Old Testament of the tithe. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before, the tithe? Uh, it literally means 10%. And there was this Old Testament, this Hebrew principle that you would give back to God your your first fruits, the first of what God gave, you would give 10% of that back and you would invest in God's kingdom. Now, as you get into the New Testament, there's no real description of a tithe, but it ups the ante. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it describes the early church as everyone giving so that no one had need. People gave a lot more than 10%. Some people gave it all. They saw 10% as a minimum. Now, as we talk about the fruit of generosity, I've got to tell you, you can actually, you can tell what the tree of gratitude looks like in your life based on how you answer this question. Uh, do you think God deserves 100% of everything that you have in your life? Uh, do you believe that... Um, that you actually, you owe God everything in your life, that the 10%, the 10% is nothing, that actually, the, the real answer is 100%. If you, if you actually believe that God deserves 100% of everything in your life, if you say yes to that, then the root of gratitude in your life, which we'll get to in a moment, is healthy and it's thriving. But if some of you are like, whoa, 100%, what are you talking about? Which let me sit back for a moment and say, uh, two-thirds of those that attend Bel Air Church right now don't give financially to the ministry of what God is doing in and through this church. And that, that's actually a very uh, normal stat in churches throughout America because we've turned church into kind of a thing that we go to and we get fed and we get filled up and we've forgotten this truth that God has actually called us to give our lives to God's kingdom work here in this city and in this nation and around the world. 
Uh, my son, uh, this week, uh, I'll mention him again, um, Halloween, of course, on Tuesday night, we get back, I'm like, Judah, can I have some candy? No. What? <laughs> that Butterfinger, though, uh, Judah, come on. No. I, I, no, this is, he says, this is mine. And I said, well, yes, yes, it's yours. And he says, you didn't buy it for me. Um, so I'm thinking in the background, I'm like, well, I did walk you with my wife through the neighborhood. Yes, we did buy that costume. Uh, so you looked cute. Uh, we did buy that thing that you could carry. In. Yes, uh, we chose to, you know, bring you into this world. But no, 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 that's true. I did, yeah, I did, I did, I, I didn't go through that whole thing with him at all. Uh, but, but it's so true. We go throughout life and we think, no, no, I earned this. I earned this. I earned this. It's mine. I got it. Uh, this leads me to the, the root of gratitude. Uh, in fact, many of us, uh, we think that the things that we have in our life, we've earned. And yes, gosh, you're a hardworking group and, you know, you've done well. Uh, you've, you've gone to school and, you know, you show up on time at work, good for you, yay. Uh, you know, you stick it out and you, you, you put in your hours. And, and you know, and, and kind of the, the motto of the culture is you deserved it, you earned it. You've been a neighbor, you've done it. Now enjoy. Now, if a root of a tree thinks that all the nutrients, all the moisture is found within the roots and never allowed the outside moisture and the outside nutrients to come in, it, it, it would shrivel up, wouldn't it, very quickly? In fact, if you were to uproot a tree and if you were just to suspend it here uh, and never water it, never put it in soil, never have uh, nitrogen and all the things that it needs, it, it, eventually the fruit would fall, the leaves would fall, it would wither up. And many of us, the root of gratitude in our life isn't the real definition of gratitude. Because inherent in the real definition of gratitude, gratis, free, grace, is you've received something from the outside. You've received something that you couldn't manufacture from yourself. That it's a gift that you've been given. And many of us, uh, we don't grow out of that mindset that my son's in right now. And we think, no, 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 I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. What do you mean 10%? What do you mean 9%? I'm, uh, let me say this. What if I was to give you a home? Uh, let's, let's, let's pick a place. Pick a, what's, a, what's a nice place to have a home? Bel Air, Porter Ranch, Encino. Where else? <laughs> Malibu. Okay, imagine wherever that home is where you want. Uh, okay, so imagine if I was to say, I'm going to give you this for free. Okay, I'm going to give it to you for free, but I want 10% of the house. Uh, I'm going to move into one room, and, you know, you'll kind of see me every once in a while, you know, and, you know, we'll share 10% of the kitchen, uh, you know, but it's free. I, you, know, you can have it. What do you think? I guarantee many of you would say, oh, I got to share with you? I mean, you're kind of okay from afar. I don't want you in my business in the kitchen. And so even the things we acknowledge as a gift, we say, no, 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 I want all of it. I want 100% of it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, uh, gives this illustration. He says this, imagine if you get diagnosed with a disease that is incurable. And I know that for some of you, this isn't hard to imagine. And the reality of your shortened lifespan uh, is quickly approaching. 
And imagine if there's a discovery, all of a sudden a discovery, and you're now communicated to that actually there is a medicine that if you take it, it guarantees that you will be cured and it will actually increase the longevity of your life far beyond what you could have ever imagined. But there's one caveat, it's expensive. And the doctor says to you, you know, I'm so sorry, it's so expensive, you know, it might cost you your home, it might cost you your record collection, it might cost you your car. Now, faced with that choice, I imagine that the majority of you, maybe all of you would say, I don't care about my home. I don't care about my record collection. I don't care about my car. I just need it. I mean, I'm going to be cured. My life's going to be extended. Are you kidding me? Take it all, 100%. Take it all, take it all, take it all. Charles Burton says that if you have that perspective towards medicine, why don't you have that perspective towards Jesus Christ? Who in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, take a look, open those Bibles back up. This gets down to the root of our gratitude. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The Bible says that every human being born in this world even if you've been born with a silver spoon, you are dirt poor. You are impoverished. You're in desperate need. You are anything but rich. You are anything but well off. Uh, don't let your bank account, what you drive, your zip code, convince you otherwise. That from an eternal, from a spiritual, from a what really matters perspective, you are poor. You've got a death sentence. You need help. You need a cure. You need saving. You need rescuing. And many of us, we, we don't believe that. We, we, we find that so uncomfortable, and therefore we never have a root of gratitude in our life because we don't realize how bad off we have. And so we just go through life saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. But it really doesn't matter because we have no idea how bad off we are without Jesus, who Paul says right there, who is absolutely rich. The fullness of God, he's dwelled for all of eternity. All the cosmos owe Jesus the reason for their existence. That the weight of God's glory dwells in Jesus. He's the radiance of God's glory. That all angels are worshiping Jesus and actually he chooses, by amazing, by choice he steps out of heaven, out of the glory of heaven, out of the riches and the splendor of all of that and he has to be born as a human. Now for the first time God experiences the flu. Have you thought about that before? That God by choice and the riches of that would now have to choose how to learn how to walk? that the glory of God now has a toothache? Do you ever think about Jesus that way, actually experiencing the humanness, the, the broken humanness that you and I experience, warts? Not my Jesus, oh yes. He was fully human and fully God. Isaiah says that people looked on him and esteemed him not. He wasn't gorgeous, he wasn't beautiful, he didn't have long blonde flowing hair, ripped, no. Get that out of your mind. He was common, Scripture says. He was average, Scripture says. The fullness of God. He chose to become poor. God in the flesh 
going to the cross by choice. To be victorious, not as a victim. He chooses all of that. He chooses to give away his riches to become poor so that you would become rich out of your poverty. You know, we're in the 500 year of Martin Luther's theses, and he says this. Martin Luther says, a Christian is somebody who every day gets up and looks at Jesus and says, Lord, you are my goodness. I am your punishment. You took everything I deserved, all the, the punishment of my sin, and now I get everything you deserve. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, everything you have is a gift, everything. James 5, 16 says this, that every good and perfect gift in your life, the, the oxygen in your lungs, the beating of your heart, the relationships you have. It's a gift from God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we should give thanks to God in all circumstances. That actually the Apostle Paul says, man, this thing, this, this thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, uh, God, I want you to take it away, but even if I continue to have it, I'm going to praise you because in my weakness, your strength is going to be shown. You see, when you get down to the root of gratitude, if you want that tree to grow in your life, if you want there to be fruit of generosity and of grace and of joy, if you want to transform the world, one person at a time, the root has to grow in Jesus Christ. You have to realize that it all begins by receiving that free and glorious gift that God gives you. And the more that you spend time in Scripture, in prayer, in community, and you begin to realize more and more this amazing gift that you've been given, the more you'll realize, wow, this, this is all, this is all just, it's a gift, and I just want, I want this gracious gift to flow through me. That leads me to the legacy of gratitude. If you flip the page later on and you take a look at 2 Corinthians 9, uh, the Apostle Paul, he looks at the church in Corinth and he says, if you join the Macedonians in helping the Christians in Jerusalem their physical need is going to be met and they're going to give all thanks and glory and praise to God. Now, this is key. He says that if you are generous and if out of your gratefulness of the life that God has given to you, if, if through your means and even above your means, you, you give away for the saints to, to care for them, you're not only going to meet their physical needs, but something else is going to happen. Now, there's a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, a lot of systems and things that meet people's earthly needs, and that's true. But the church is the only organization, the only community that does more than that. We meet physical needs and spiritual needs, temporary needs and eternal needs. You see, that's the great glorious truth of what it means to be part of God's people, part of the church, because turkey baskets, for example, that people who receive this can experience Thanksgiving, but they can turn around and realize that this gift has come from God, that perhaps that thing will bring them into a relationship with Jesus. That's how the Roman Empire changed in a few hundred years to be a Christian nation. That's how everything went from pagan, idol worship, killing babies, to a community that was beginning to be transformed and formed around Jesus Christ. 
You see, we've got an opportunity to grow as a church. We've got an opportunity to not just have an attitude of gratitude. You know, there's all those great coffee mugs. Yes, it's, it's an attitude, but it's something so much more than that. In fact, I'm going to give you uh, two practices that I expect you to practice this week. This isn't, I'm not asking you, I, I expect it. Uh, if this is your church, I, I expect it because I'm going to do it, we're going to do it. Uh, and really, I don't think anybody here wants to not thrive. I don't think anybody here uh, doesn't want to live a generous, awe-inspiring, beautiful life. But you've got to practice certain things to grow in gratitude too. The first is uh, to tend your roots, to realize the, the gifts that have been given to you. I've got a friend who every day wakes up, pulls his phone out, and he opens up a folder in his camera roll that's titled, Thank God. And he flips through and he sees his wife, he sees his kids, he sees his car, he sees his condo, he sees his feet. Uh, he sees a variety of things. And it's a reminder for him to thank God who is the source of all these things in his life. So here's the practice that I expect everything, every one of you to do. Maybe some of you are more analog, okay? You want to get out your journal a piece of paper, and you're going to write down the things that you are thankful for. But not just say, oh, I'm thankful for these things. Title it, thank God, because God has given you those things. Uh, some of you are more digital. You want to take photos of those things in your life. But let, let's do something much more deeper than just counting your blessings. You've heard that before. I'm talking about so much more than that. Maybe, maybe think about it in three categories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, uh, a list of things that are good, your blessings or photos of the blessings, the good things in your life that you would thank God for. But what if you also put the bad things? Your financial situation, your relationship with a coworker, your health. What if you were to put those things down and to actually say, God, I thank you for my cancer because it's teaching me to trust you. God, thank you for losing this job because now it's an opportunity for me to see how you'll provide. I want you to include those things too. The ugly. This is the stuff you're mad at God about, the stuff you don't talk about. The stuff that uh, is bringing just to the surface emotions in your life and you're thinking, can I get out of here quickly? The ugly stuff. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5 says to give thanks to God in all circumstances. And maybe, there's, maybe there's just one thing. And would you write that down? Would you put that? I don't know if you can somehow take a photo of that. I don't know. But whatever that is to prompt you every single morning to even thank God for that. And to say, you know what, God, this thing here, I have no idea why you allowed that tragedy, that betrayal, that thing to happen to me. But God, I thank you because someday I'm going to have a perspective on this thing. And it, it might not be until I'm with you in heaven, but someday I'm going to see how you use this for your glory. 
And I can't thank you now, but I'm one day, I'm going to praise you for it. I don't know what that's going to mean. This is what faith looks like. So God, I'm just going to, I'm going to thank you in advance. I'm telling you, if you do that practice on a daily basis, if you rest your mind on the good, the bad, the ugly, if you thank God for those things, your mind will begin to shape your brain. Watch how different your interactions will be. Watch how different your perspective on what your reality is. Watch how the generosity begins to flow, how the grace begins to flow, how the joy begins to flow. You can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a grateful person. No, you have to practice it every single day, again and 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 again, and to be a community that encourages one another to do that. Because there's days where I don't want to give thanks. Is there anybody else that has some days where I'm like, I don't want to be thankful today? Anybody can, anybody can relate to that? Okay, so we're in, me too. Yes, we're in this together. Okay. There's power in that. Now, that's one. The second, uh, to tend to the fruit. And we talked about generosity today. We're launching something in the month of November that I want to show you. Open up your bulletins. In fact, there was a card, double-sided, that was given to you. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the weeks in days, throughout the whole month of November, an opportunity for you to practice generosity that flows out of a grateful life. So this is over and above your normal giving. Now, now some of you, two-thirds of you, you don't give at all. I'm asking for two things as we end this calendar year. Two things. First is this, that every single one of us that calls Bel Air our church home that we would give towards what God is doing through this local church. That's between you and God. I don't know what people give. I, I don't choose to know what that is. Uh, pray about it. The early church and the Macedonian Christians, they gave according to their means, and some gave beyond their means. So perhaps some of you in this really critical time, you're going to begin giving for the first time. Uh, you can text, uh, you can find out information in your bulletin about how you can uh, give online, you can give in our services. But this is the second thing in this, this card here, this gratitude gift is the second thing that I'm asking 100% of our church family to be a part of, to participate in, that you would give a different type of gift this Christmas season. Now, many of you, you're going to give a gift, likely, this season to a friend, a, a coworker, a, a family member, a spouse. Uh, you know, and I, I hear this phrase all the time, you know, what do you give uh, the girl that has everything, the guy that has everything? And, you know, you know we just give stuff and things and it, get, it goes on eBay, it goes in our closet and we just forget about it. What if this season you give a different type of gift? Every dollar that you give in gratitude in this season, the month of November, every dollar goes towards someone in need. And you can, you'll see on this page that doesn't have the photos, uh, when it says how to give, you can text a number, follow the instructions. You can read all this later. You can go to our website. Or you can write gratitude on the subject line of an offering. But let me just show you as a way of example. Flip it over. Again, this is, this is for us to cultivate, to practice. My wife and I are going to pray about what we're going to give over and above in gratitude this season. But let's say you gave $34 in gratitude this season. And if you were to, to practice in that way, you would enable 10 people to experience Thanksgiving through our turkey baskets, which we have a tremendous legacy of doing as a church. And there's a meeting even this afternoon of those leaders praying through, talking about how we're best going to 
meet the needs of 8,000 individuals in this city. As a side note, we're planning on giving 70 turkey baskets to those who are part of our Beller family. Now, some of you, you show up and you think, wow, this is the, the rich, wealthy church. You know, this is the church, wow, Bel Air, wow, they got everything. It's not true across the board. Uh, we have elders in our church who have experienced the gift from the deacons fund, who have experienced uh, in a really tight financial season the gift of a turkey basket. Some of you are in deep financial need right now. We want to know that. In fact, you can talk to Pastor Mike Morgan right after the service. Uh, you can call our front desk, say, hey, can I talk to the deacons? Or can I find information about turkey baskets? We will direct you in a confidential, loving way to meet you right where they're. But we're also giving to those in need within our church family. But look further. Uh, $60 helps pay for one person to have food and services and shelter for a night who's experiencing homelessness through one of our partners in downtown Los Angeles. $100, ready for this? Pays for one orphan to attend school for a year. I wish tuition in L.A. was that cheap. $200 helps pay for one Beller Church student to attend camp. And then finally, $417 pays for one month of support for a missionary. If you flip it over, you're going to see our goals, the $60,000 in the month of November. And it's broken down in certain ways, and everything above that $60,000, everything above that, Every dollar is going to go towards current year commitments to our local and our global partners. Every dollar is going to meet somebody's need. Every dollar, we pray, will cause somebody to give thanks and glory and praise to God in heaven. But we want to do even more than that. In fact, you'll notice, perhaps when you came in, some Christmas trees out in the lobby these nice little wood ornaments. Now, now, when you see this, don't say, oh, free ornaments. Don't go there. Uh, don't say, oh, these are my gifts to people. How, can I, how many can I take? How many can I take? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, so we're hoping that, you know, as you give, uh, let's say a minimum of 34, a minimum of helping 10 people experience Thanksgiving, that you would take one of these and you'd think about one person in your life that you're grateful for. A family, a friend, a coworker, a believer, non-believer, and you'd give this to them for Christmas. And you'd say, you know what? I thank God for you. And you actually motivated me to send five orphans in the Congo to school for a year. You motivated me to enable 20 people to experience Thanksgiving. Uh, you, you inspired me as I thank God for you to, to take care of a missionary for a year. What an opportunity to extend a beautiful life of what it means to follow Jesus, even to somebody who's not a believer. Imagine what this would do in somebody's life. Imagine what happened when Diognetus in the first century received that image of what the church is. How could God use this? Maybe this is the catalyst for you to have that conversation with somebody in your life. To say, this is what Jesus means to me. This is the gift that he's given me, and I just want to give it back to the world. 
So, Belair, let's together in this season, let's grow our tree of gratitude so that the fruit of generosity and grace and joy would flow out. Let's pray. Loving God, as we respond in worship and in a moment uh, with the table, God, would we see all this as an act of worship? And at the table, would it be something that we receive that's beyond ourselves? this gift of grace, a reminder of the links that you went to on the cross for us? Jesus, we thank you for your love.